Previously on Wild Endeavors, Calico Bane joins the companions in their search for clues as to the whereabouts of the silence. Following a lead from the gardeners, the party leaves Arthamore in search of a silence safe house in Hadria. Things unravel quickly. Soon, the proprietor of the Blue Moon is dead, and with her dies the best chance of finding information on the silence. The second best chance at information, another member of the silence, escapes during the commotion and alerts the Primarchy soldiers in the city. As the soldiers close in on the companions with the now-dead shopkeep, the party decides to flee, with the forces of the Primarchy in hot pursuit. Now, Chapter 10, The Lightless Arcade. Featuring Adam Rogers as the human fighter Hans Greger. I thought you said you were taken. Amy Jostino as the tiefling thief Calico Bane. We didn't steal all the goods, we only stole the shiny one. Nick Feely as the human paladin Elief Kin. I'm like laying on the ground staring up at the sky just like someone who just broke up with somebody. Devin Salisbury as the elven thief Theron Nilo. Um, Leandros probably claimed that he was the leader, but, you know, I think you get the gist. And due to illness, I'll be filling in for Evan Chamberlain as the elven wizard Leandros Lubakar. Well, I wouldn't expect the likes of you to understand. I am also Thomas Marcetti, your DM, GM, MC, and several other awesome initials. interlude. Habersham couldn't believe his luck. He had been searching for days, and just when he had decided to get drunk out of frustration at his failed attempts, he found them. He found him. Steadying himself against the cool stone of the wall of the alley, Habersham stared death at the paladin who had browbeat him into giving up information about the guards in the warden's compound. That paladin had invoked the name of Helm. He promised that no one would get hurt. Haversum told him everything. Then there was a break-in. Two guards were killed. A butler, befuddled by magic, was almost killed when they were found with the dead guards. All because Haversham had trusted this paladin. This is probably not even a paladin, Haversum mutters into the night air. He watched as the paladin and his companions look up at the Temple of Denier. It's a strange group. The paladin, a young-looking, inexperienced, but clearly devoted servant of Helm. A muscle-bound brute who vacillates between flipping his hair back and caressing the sword he carries. An elf in dark leathers and a strange mask Darts looks at every passing shadow, every tiny noise, as if he expected to be attacked at any moment. And another elf, dressed in the finest of robes, stands slightly apart from the others. And occasionally, when they aren't looking at him, he looks at them, 
as if he was gauging the precise moment he would let them die. It was a strange group. Strange or not, Haversham had no illusions he could take them by himself. He desperately wanted revenge for his fallen friends, but that alone would not be enough. After a few more moments of internal debate, he decided it was worth the risk. He would go back to the tavern, get his friends, and hope that when he returned, the paladin was still outside the temple. Luckily, Haversham was drunk enough he hadn't made it very far from the bar where he had been drowning his demons. With this new focus, he made his way back much more quickly. He roused his friends, most of them also guards, all of them also drunk. With many stumbles and shushing noises that were far too loud for actual stealth, Haversham and his companions returned to the alley and almost shouted with joy to see the paladin and his strange companions still there. Full of liquid courage, emboldened by the idea that surely four people stood no chance against six guards, Haversham and his posse readied themselves in the mouth of the alley. Haversham was so focused, and just drunk enough still, he didn't see the shadows stretch from the wall of the alley behind him. He didn't hear the tiny, muffled grunt as the shadow wrapped itself around his friend and slit their throat. He didn't see or hear as one by one his backup died in the shadows of the alley. Behind him, still unseen, one of the shadows detached completely from the wall and took the shape of a person. They cocked their head curiously at Haversham who was muttering to himself that this guy probably wasn't even a real paladin. With the tiniest of shrugs, the figure advanced, and two sabers arced through the night and into the guard's back. Haversom was surprised, only for a couple seconds. The pain snapped through his drunken haze, and he half-turned and saw a face in the moonlight. A young, half-elven girl, brilliant red hair just slightly peeking out from under her hood. A long, ugly, puckered scar running from atop her left eyebrow, across the bridge of her nose, and terminating with a bang on the right side of her jaw. Whisper, who was once called Kara Nilo, crouched over the body and absent-mindedly wiped her blades on the now-dead Haversham. Her eyes were fixed on the same strange party that he had, until so recently been watching. Another shadow detached from the wall and came to crouch beside her. We doing them too? The dwarf said. Whisper considered for a couple moments. No, she said, clearly expecting that to be the end of the conversation. But the dwarf pushed on. But they's looking for us. And they got the guards and the primarchy all in a tizzy. The longer they's around, the worse things are for us. Whisper nodded, but whoever they are, they're working with the gardeners. You know as well as I do, the gardeners do not play the game unless they are willing to go all in. We don't need that kind of heat, not now. So what are we going to do? We have to advance our plan. It's time to leave. The dwarf moves to stand and Whisper grabs his arm. We're not leaving tonight, 
and we can't leave these bodies here. But you want me to take care of all these? Whisper looks back over the half dozen dead guards. No, I suppose you're right. We don't have time for that. Get Mr. Friday. She owes me one. The dwarf sputters again at this suggestion. And Whisper smiles. You're not afraid of a little old lady, are you? The dwarf shudders. L little old ladies are harmless, that. Mr. Friday. She's... It'd be stupid not to be afraid of her. If she owes you, why don't you go get her? Staring across the street at the elf in dark leathers, Whisper barely hears the dwarf's objection. Go get Mr. Friday. I'm going to go prepare the arcade. Then she turns back to the dwarf. If you can't wet your blade, I will release you. The dwarf takes a step back. The shadows in the alley reach out to touch him, and he becomes just a dark silhouette. His voice suddenly somber, he says, None will speak our name. And then he steps backward again and disappears into the shadows. Whisper, who was once called Kara Nilo, waits several minutes. She watches the group, watching the Temple of Denier. And then, almost voicelessly, she says, Hurry, then. We're running out of time. After riding hard out of Hadria, you found a dry riverbed at the base of a small hill. It's not much, but you think that the combination of the two should be enough to give you a little bit of seclusion, a little time to rest the horses, gather your wits, and hopefully figure out a next step. As soon as you arrive in this camp, Leandros begins studying the objects you took from the Blue Moon, and is very quickly lost in his spellbooks. What are the rest of you doing? After breaking my quest, I need to make amends or rededicate myself to Helm. How do I do that? Sure. So this was not like a major transgression against Helm. Um, you know, you still feel his presence. You were still able to call upon his power. You spoke with his authority and made the crowd part as you were making your way out of Hadria. So I think this is a minor show of devotion, um, whether that's through some type of action or like a meditation or like a prayer. So would we know in this world what like praying to Helm looks like? I'm going to leave that up to you, uh, since it's your, your character and, and your god. But it could be a wide variety of things. Like I think that some deities, uh, like practicing sword techniques, might be a way of praying to them. Or some paladins might like brand themselves as a form of prayer to their, their deity. Or it could be something more in the realm of, you know, Christian and Muslim traditions, or... Okay. I guess I'll, like, maybe find, like, a tree to go, like, sit up against, and just, like, sit quietly. After a little while of sitting there, hearing the wind rustling through the trees and over the plain around you, an image begins to coalesce in the darkness of your closed eyes. Two humanoid figures stand atop a hill, the setting sun casting them in silhouette and hiding their features from you. They both have the bulky outline of people wearing armor. 
and they both carry arms and shields. Strangely, even though most of the details are lost in the silhouette from the sun, two things stand out very clearly to you. One of the figures carries a metal shield, the gauntlet of helm with the open staring eye upon it is wrought in silver metal upon the shield and gleams in the gloaming. The other figure carries a wooden shield. It is elaborately wrought, intricately carved, and decorated. It is the kind of shield that a noble would gladly wear as a sign of their station or their wealth. Then the two figures fall into battle positions, their shields raised to the sky. The shields ascend just in time, as streaks of fire like little shooting stars begin to rain from the heavens. Like hail, these burning stars begin to crash against the metal shield, and the figure underneath the symbol of Helm is safe. The stars strike, and then bounce harmlessly away. When these falling stars strike the wooden shield, however, they do not bounce away. They sit and smolder until the figure shakes the shield and to knock them off. But the stars are falling swiftly, and soon the shield is on fire, and the wielder abandons it and attempts to run, only to be struck down by one of the stars, and collapse atop of the hill, unmoving. Okay. I don't know what that means. So I think that Elif is much better versed in interpreting these types of visions, or these types of parables than you or I are. So I think that the big takeaway for him is just the reinforcement of that. You know, those who stand with Helm are protected and those who do not aren't. And then there's some secondary messages like, you know, the, the temptation of the, the beautifully wrought shield and that leading to, you know, to death and some things like that. But the big one is, you know, if, if you stick with Helm, he will stick with you. Okay. And so with that, you can now dedicate yourself to a new quest in his name. So what would you like to do? Let's see. So there's one that says discover the truth of. So I would say discover the truth behind what the silence is. If I could offer a suggestion, I would maybe include in that, uh, in the scope of that, like why are Then and Leandros so interested in the silence? Yeah. I mean, that's what I wanted. No. Then that's a great quest to pick. So go ahead and pick two boons. Okay. I'll say a voice that transcends language. And I'll take the Divine Authority again. For your vows, Helm is going to require of you honor, which means you are forbidden from enacting cowardly tactics or tricks, and piety, which is the required observation of a daily holy service. Okay. So while Eliaf is praying, what else is happening in camp? I feel like Hans is, is like cleaning a sword, but like kind of in more of an angry fashion. Yeah, the ride out of town was kind of fun as far as, you know, riding the horse and jumping over things and all that stuff, but I feel like he's kind of upset that nothing they did in the shop really seemed to work. Like, everything they thought, like, was going to be that next step ended up being just a roadblock or nothing was there. And now it's like we've been run out of town, essentially, and we didn't really accomplish anything. So since he's still new to the group, much like um, Elif is, he doesn't know, like, really what they want to do next, so that's also kind of frustrating. Then, as everyone is settling in, seeing to their horses, you notice that Cloud is here again. 
She is following people around, like doing like exaggerated versions of their walks. Once Hans sits down and starts going to work on his sword, she is like walking back and forth behind him, uh, clearly trying to imitate him, like you know, puffing her chest out and like flexing real big. And <laughs> uh, at one point, she like sits down next to him and just really exaggerated motions of like sharpening a, a sword that's not really there. Can I play with Cloud? <laughs> Not cool. <laughs> Not cool. Uh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so Hans, you said you were feeling frustrated because you didn't know what the plan is or like what is next. Are you doing anything about that, or are you kind of just stewing about it? I feel like the next step, I would be, I would eventually kind of, I wouldn't say get the courage, but like, eventually would just kind of get up and walk over to Then and say, you know, clearly none of that worked. I tried. I really. I tried really hard Clearly. to try and keep the shopkeeper busy, so you guys could like, kind of work on an idea. And well, we had a and plan. Then I killed her. So, like, I I don't know if it's my fault that everything kind of you know went south or things kind of got out of hand. I'll agree with you there, but uh, I, I I can't tell you what our next step is because I don't know. Can anyone go back in? Like, I know you have a mask. You think you I could sneak like back into the, the city? Best. I, mean, I would have the best luck getting back into the city, probably. I mean, I feel like we both can. Um, I'd prefer to wait till the cover of night, obviously. But uh, what yeah, are we trying I mean, to get out? Like, what's your end goal with that city exactly? Uh, to, to figure out any information we can on the silence and their whereabouts. Who are the silence exactly? Real bad people. The silence is kind really of a um, a group of assassins. Did they kill somebody you know? Not necessarily, but um, they're not uh, they're not great people. Um, I've been weary on telling you guys because I feel like telling you might put a target on your back. But if you're very adamant on figuring this out, I'm I'm willing to share. Well, gardeners are already invested in opposing them. The silence are part of a larger group known as the Clasp, a kind of group of naysayers and thieves and all sorts of types. Um, Apparently, the silencer are at a bit of a war with the class right now. If that's so, how yeah, you feel they, about the silence, how do you feel about the class? The class as a whole is, for the most part, nothing to worry about. Do you have a personal history with the class? Uh, I do. I used to be part of them. What? Plot twist. I feel like Hans is like, but you said, and you, you're you sure they're not bad people? Yes. Uh, the larger whole is not bad. But the silence are bad. The Silence is a group of assassins, and they've kind of broken away from normal traditions of the class. I've witnessed firsthand their reach and uh, some of the negatives that they can bring to this world. Why did you leave the class? Because of that. Finding out about that kind of put a target on my back. The section of the class that I was part of helped me fake my own death and helped me to get, get away from the Silence. Uh, is target. your name not really Then then? <laughs> My name is Then. So okay, so we've talked about it. Uh, right. Silence bad, clasp up in the air. You were part of it. <laughs> it's a personal yes. connection, but you don't feel comfortable telling all of us. All right, I'm at my quest. <laughs> <laughs> that was fast. We got run out of the city that it seemed like we really needed to do something in. Are you all willing to help with us now that you know a little bit more of the truth. I mean, Leandros is already paying us, so I we're kind of on retainer. 
it's it's helpful for sure to know a little bit more of what we're looking for but i have this empty feeling or this just gut feeling that we really need to get back into the city somehow and find what well, we were supposed to well i agree we could probably do that but definitely should we wait until cover of night wait till cover of night and just try to take it slow this time and less m- murder kill i will say that what i do know is the leader of the silence has been dabbling in some dark art what sort of dark art are they dabbling in um well from what i've heard and discovered it's a bit of necromancy is not like having sex with dead things <laughs> <laughs> I see you don't get um, many dictionaries in your temple. Um, no, uh, this necromancy is dabbling with the dead and bringing them to life. In a way. <laughs> if you all must know, someone very close to me is within the silent. Your girlfriend? No. God, no. Your mom. <laughs> all right, Calico. Calm down there. <laughs> All right, so what time of day is it? It's right around noon. I will say, if we're trying to get back to the city, though, um, they're going to be probably on high alert at every entrance, and it's going to be very difficult for us to get in. Before we do anything, I'll just say that while I am getting paid to do this, I appreciate that we have a better understanding now of what the mission is, and thank you for sharing that. Thank you for your help. I think Leandros doesn't look up from his book, but just rolls his eyes as hard as he can. Leandros, you are so lively and lifelike. <laughs> you definitely get the impression that uh, it's almost as if Leandros is like too sick to really take part in, in the group's activities or its discussion at this point, uh, but that um, almost like some kind of cosmic force is kind of almost puppeteering him, keeping him in the action. But Leandros is definitely there, and actually has just finished uh, identifying the objects that you pulled out of the blue moon. The first one is a small black cat figurine. It is a sending stone, much like the one that Aurelius gave you. It is linked and can only communicate with its twin. The silver horseshoe, when hung above a door, will dispel invisibility from any person or creature passing over the threshold. Nice. And then there was a salt block. Um, Any food or drink placed on the block will be purified of any poison or any mundane rot or mold. I get that. (laughs) You also took a number of books and scrolls. One of the books is just a basic ledger, uh, records of the sales and and whatnot that the store has done. That's fine. Um, I'll keep that in mind in case I need to send some goods. It could maybe Uh, help you reasonably price items that you want to sell. (laughs) One of the books is a survival guide. Is it like camping for dummies? Yes, it is like fantasy camping for fantasy dummies. In terms of mechanics, if you have time to consult the book, you'll get a plus one on any applicable roles in uh, in a natural setting, like any any place outside of a city. Okay. And then the scrolls and some of the, like the loose papers that you grabbed were were all pretty much like missives or orders or basic kind of communications you'd expect uh, le- legitimate business to have. So that confirmed that okay. literally we got nothing. Pretty much. We killed an innocent woman for absolutely no reason. Oh, she was not innocent. Um, I don't really think that you all would think she's innocent either. She was the head of a silent safe house. Like, she she was an assassin. If anything, if anything, her death might stir up uh, some, some more leads. 
Do I have time to make some poison? Does your move say a time? All it says is if I can gather materials and have a safe place to brew, then I can do it. It doesn't say how long. Sure. If it was your intention to make poison, I think you could have set that up as soon as you guys kind of made camp and had it you know, brewing uh, while you were talking. Okay. So go ahead and add three doses of one type of poison, whatever you'd like, from your list. Okay. That poison smells delicious. It won't kill you much. <laughs> then I'll save that for the bad guys. So <clears throat> what do you feel about, like, a really dumb plan about one of us, one or two of us, like, purposely trying to get caught? So we kind of go for the it. silence finds us, and then we, in turn, learn about the silence until somebody breaks us out. <laughs> I have heard that it's not smart for adventurers to split up their party. <laughs> Where, did you... Where did you hear that? Just around town, out and about. <laughs> So speaking of dramatic irony, and how much I love it, as the four of you are discussing the merits of getting captured, Fen, you feel a tug on your sleeve, and you look down to see Cloud. Her eyes are wide, and she says, Hot donkey! She then points to a ridge about 300 feet south of where you are, and just now coming over the top of it are the eight armored figures of the Shining Force who were just chasing you and Hadria. The golden eagle of the Primarchy gleams on the silver half plate that four of them are wearing and on the cloth of gold military jackets that the other four are wearing they stop in a line atop of the ridge and then one of the hawks that was circling lazily overhead wheels down and lands behind the, the primarchy soldiers the hawk begins to grow and then transforms into a half elven man Elif is the only one who saw him in his humanoid form. But the half-elf gets a big shit-eater grin on his face and gives you a little finger wave, which probably clues you into the fact that you knew him as Daisy the Horse, and that he seems to have led the Primarchy to you. One of the Primarchy soldiers shouts down toward you, Hold! In the name of the High King, only criminals and traitors to the Primarchy need run. So these are not silence, they're like Kingsguard? Correct. We're the good guys, let's just talk to them. Well, considering we have eight, now nine people here against us, it's probably best we talk. Okay. Unless you guys feel like a fight right now. How close is the, ha- is the half-elf thing to us? He's probably just a little bit over 300 feet away, um, but he is behind the Shining Force. Ah, damn it, okay. Never mind. Continue. Do we know if the Silence and the King's Guard people are, like, working hand-in-hand with each other, or they might be enemies, or... You would know that the Shining Force was in the Arthamore area on behalf of the High King to find out who assassinated the Duke um, and to help restore peace to Arthamore. And you learned from Aurelius that the, the scuttlebutt among the criminals in Arthamore is that the Silence were the ones who killed the Duke. Okay, great. So let's try and make... Um, I'm not the leader, but I feel like we should let Ben kind of... Well, not say that he's trying to find a person that is of interest to him in the Silence, but that, you know, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, we were trying to find them. Let's strike some sort of mutual deal here uh, to work together. It'd be really hard to convince them of that, Hans, considering we killed the shopkeep and stole all their goods. And We didn't steal all the goods. We only stole the shiny ones. 
I start walking Wait. in the direction. I think we follow. I mean, I follow at least. Yeah, I'll follow. But I have repositioned my throwing daggers to more accessible locations. Okay, good to know. After you've closed about half of the initial distance between your two groups, that's far enough. I'll take my sword and set it down on the ground in front of me and, like, put my hands up to show, like, surrendering. I feel like I had my sword out still from when I was, like, polishing it. Mm-hmm. So I just put it back into its, is it called a scabbard? What the hell is that thing called? Yeah. So I don't put it on the ground, but I put it away, like, in a non-threat. I'll I have just... one hand up and one hand more this way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just have my arms crossed. And just be like, can we help you? The same soldier addresses you. I am Shield Captain Fontaine Canar. I speak with the authority of Cadicia Augustalis, Commander Radiant of the Shining Force. The Exarch wishes us to escort you back to her camp, that she may have a word with you. Hmm. Surely uh, we can all cooperate here, and I'll look to the rest of the group. Kind of give them a nod. I come in the thumbs up. Must we go back? Are there any questions we can answer for you now? There is one. Which of you set fire to the blue moon? I think that was the horse. (laughs) As soon as you say that, you realize you no longer see the half-elf standing behind the shining force. Is that the horse? Yeah. Yeah, that was the horse. Time out. The blue moon was the shop we were at? And we set fire to it? No. Oh. But he's asking you which of you set fire to it. Oh, no. I'd say, sir, we didn't have time to set fire (laughs) Oh, yeah, we, did. <laughs> <laughs> we we got out as soon as we could. <laughs> he raises an eyebrow at that and says, And what cause had you to be in such a rush? The horse. What horse is this? And why is this creature so keen on it? We feared for our lives. There's, there's people in there using magic. They appeared to be things that they weren't, including a horse. <laughs> and they tried to attack us. And we got into a brief skirmish, and we continued to fear for our lives. It got out of there as quickly as possible. Go ahead and roll Defy Danger plus Charisma. Ten. He gives you a slow nod and says, Very well. Please return to your horses, and we will begin our ride back to Arthamore. I mean, we're pretty much surrounded, so we should probably just go with them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll pick up my sword and and mount up and go. As you ride, they keep four in front of you and four behind you. It appears to be a not-so-subtle way of them saying that you're not really prisoners, but that running is a very bad idea. You arrive back to Arthmore, and more specifically the armies camped around it, just as cook fires are being lit for dinner, and torches are being placed around the perimeter and on the archer towers. There seems to be a lot more patrols and a lot more activity among these camps than the last time you were on this side of the armies. If there was any question in your mind as to why that might be, it is quickly dashed when you see the head of a gorgon posted on a pike in the center of the Primarchy camp. And if you had had the time or the means to walk freely among the camp, you may have run into Vaishar the Chargebreaker and Gillian the Iron Bull both who have shields wrought of strange metal. Metal that looks strangely similar to that of the skin of the Gorgon head. The soldiers escorting you bring you to the largest tent in the camp. It is easily 30 feet to a side. The tents of the Primarchy soldiers are a gray that somehow seem to have a hint of silver to them, and a strip 
of maize yellow stretches along the edge of every panel. The tent you are approaching has cloth of gold, though, instead of yellow, and large golden eagles are embroidered on every side of the tent. As you and the soldiers you are riding with dismount, a number of squires approach and take the horses to care for them and feed them. Fontaine motions you inside the tent. The interior is familiar to any of you who have been in a war camp before. Along two of the sides of the tent are a series of small desks, really little more than writing tables, likely for clerks and messengers. The center of the tent is dominated by a long table. In between you and the table are a line of seven wooden chairs. The chairs are hefty and clearly made by a master woodworker. They are not the type of light and flimsy chairs that are easy to carry in an army caravan. Fontaine gestures to the chairs and says, Please have a seat. Exarch Cadicia will be here shortly. Khaleesi? You spend the next half hour or so waiting, during which times the sounds and the smells of an army camp dinner come wafting into the tent. Raucous laughter and the earthy smell of some type of game turned into stew. Then Fontaine re-enters the tent. He stops just inside and half turns and half bows, gesturing with one hand to the tent flap that is being held open from the outside. I present Cadicia Augustalis. Exarch of Aria, Warden of the Everlasting Legion, Prorex of Lepidus, and Commander Radiant of the Shining Force. I'll stand up as she walks in. A tall human enters the tent. Her golden hair seems to almost glow in the torchlight. Her eyes are dark brown and fierce. Presence is commanding. Even without the guards and Fontaine bowing and showing deference to her, you get the impression immediately that if she told you to do something, it would be very difficult to not immediately do it. She is wearing golden chainmail in the crusader style, the kind of like down to the knees. She wears a partial breastplate that is shaped like the rampant eagle of House Augustalis, the wings coming up just above her shoulders, almost forming pauldrons. If there's a way for me to get my sword out in a non-threatening way and then kind of just like put it down into the ground and like lean on it and brush my hair back a little bit, I want to do that. <laughs> of course you do. As soon as you go for your sword, Fontaine and the other guards in the room immediately draw their weapons. And then as they see you put the blade into the ground and to kind of sit back down and you know, flip your hair around, they all relax a little bit, but none of them put their weapons away. Sure. Caduceia stares hard at you, Hans. She then slowly takes a look at the rest of you, very clearly taking a measure of you. After a moment that's just long enough to start to feel awkward, she says... Fontaine, you and your men can step outside. As Fontaine makes his way out of the tent, he gives you an even though I'm outside, I'm still fucking watching you kind of look. And then it is Cadicia and the five of you. Cadicia moves to the front of the table, placing herself effectively directly in front of you, and says, I understand you've caused some trouble in Hadrian. Please explain yourselves. Well, you see there was a horse. <laughs> she just stares at you. And then it ended up killing the shopkeeper and set fire to the entire thing. We were able to escape. And we don't know anything about the fire. We can't lie. <laughs> she leans back to kind of half sit on the table and then crosses her arms and says, So a horse killed a shopkeep and then started a fire that you know nothing about. Pardon my friend, she likes to jest. Um... <laughs> Her idea of jokes and mine are very different. Can I, can I time out and remind them that we were the ones that set the fire? Like, We didn't set the didn't fire. Didn't we set the 
fire when we threw the thing down in the trap? No. Oh, I thought that's at the fire. JK. No, we didn't set any fire. There was a horse that turned out to be a half-elf. He killed the shopkeep. Then we had to fight our way out, and the horse half-elf must have started the fire. I'm okay with that. Elif probably is not saying anything. Agreed. And what were you doing in said shop? Um, my friend was looking for, uh... Are you familiar with the silence? No, what are you doing? She looks at Fen for a moment, and then says, I am. And then still looking right into Fen's eyes, she says, Could I interest you in some Teldirin wine? <laughs> Which you recognize as a, the beginning of a, a series of code phrases that members of the clasp use to identify each other. Yeah. Give me a barrel of it, and I'd happily drown. She replies, A man can't drown who's destined to be hanged. The gallows are for the timid. She sighs, and then says, Impervio, and ropes spring from every surface on the chairs, from the legs and the arms, the seat and the back. Some of you are fast enough to react, but just as you begin to move, there are three ropes around your chest, slamming you back down into the chair. Ropes springing up around your arms lock them into place, as even more ropes anchor your legs. Cadicia then leans her head back and says, Fontaine, they are of the class. Pair the cells. Look what you did. I feel like <laughs> like after I got tied up by her, I kind of like smirk at her. <laughs> <laughs> that seems about right. I like whisper through my tooth to Finn. All you had to do was l- go along with my story and we'd be out of it. Calico, I know you're new to our group here, but don't worry. Just go with it. I just started being big because I'm so scared. <laughs> oh, yeah. Caduceus sees that, and she walks over to you, Eliaf. She raises your chin with a finger and says, You serve he of the unsleeping eye? I do. Tell me then, what service do you do home by cavorting with these thieves? We are not thieves, we are searching for thieves. She gives you a look that says she's waiting for more. We heard that there was a silent safe house in the blue moon, so we went to investigate it, and that's where things went awry. Did this horseman kill the shopkeep? Uh, no. Was it your party? Yes. And the fire? We think it was the horse. The half-elf who was a horse. She nods. She seems pleased with your answers. And what is your interest in the silence? I'm not privy to that information. You follow blindly? Yes. She's a little taken aback. She did not expect that answer. And then she says, Who? Someone in this room. Do not play games with me, paladin. I can lie now, because, like, I don't have a... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's not one of your vows anymore. The finger she had lightly under your chin turns into her gripping your jaw. And she says, Who do you blindly serve, other than your Lord Helm? Um... I jokingly say, well, obviously it's me. Look how great my hair is and do like a hair flip. I say some riddle type thing, like I serve everyone and no one. The grip on your chin tightens to the point where it begins to hurt. She leans a little bit closer and her voice becomes quieter, but somehow seems to fill the tent even more. And she says, let me be clear. I am Cadicia Augustalis. I am the hand and the will of my father, High King Caldius Augustalis. 
Primarch of Aria, the stalwart Emperor, Keeper of the Cruciform Blade, Marshal of the Everlasting Legion, Rex of Praham, and Defender of Humanity. I need but say the word, and you will watch as your companions are destroyed, one by one, before your life is forfeit. So, I ask you again, who do you serve? It's me. Ooh, that's good sign. I'm okay with that. She lets Elif's face go in a surprisingly gentle way, and then walks over to stand in front of Then and says, "And you are." I am Theron Nilo. First of his name. <laughs> <laughs> Does Han say that? No. <laughs> oh, too bad. <laughs> I respond. If you are a member of the Silent, you are on my list. Her eyes narrow, not necessarily in a menacing way, and she says, You know I am not. Do you seem to be familiar with them? Know enough about them, their language, their whereabouts? You know our code, or what my my old code used to be? Others who know your code are not quite so tight-lipped. I know much of the clasp and what they are doing in Arthamore, and what they hope to do. I know less of this silence. And it seems ever more important that I learn as much as I can. Then you'd be happy to know that I'm no longer with the clasp, or the silent. And I have that assurance, how? Well, because I'm wanted by them, and I will help you track them down if that's what you seek. Go ahead and roll Defy Danger plus Charisma. Eleven. Well, that's good. So, um, so her eyes relax. Tell me what you know of the assassination of the Duke. I know that the Duke was on their uh, their agenda, by whom I don't know orchestrated it. I know that when a name is given to the silence, they seek it to no end, and the Duke came across. And how do you know that the name was given? I was in Arthurmore before and after the attack. For what purpose do you seek the silence? To end them. To eliminate the leader. To gain some sort of semblance of my life. So I think Fen is pretty emphatic with those last couple of statements. So I'm going to let that that 10 roll over kind of for the, the rest of this conversation. You are very convincing. Caduceus gives you a couple slow nods and says, And if I were to release you, what would be your next move? I have no choice. Uh, uh, an enemy of my enemy is my friend. I will help you to no end. And you can vouch for all your companions. Well... They like gold. <laughs> <laughs> They'll follow me, don't worry. She turns and looks at the rest of you. How, if at all, are you reacting? I just shrug. Obviously, we're paid to protect Leandro, so I'm fine with it as long as, long as Leandros is still safe, I guess. If it gets us out of these ropes. She seems mostly satisfied with that. She says, Veritas and the ropes that have been holding you slacken and begin to slither back into the chair and then disappear. Since you seem to already have dealings with several underworld elements in this city, I would ask that you also keep an ear out for any information about a group of marauders that attacked my forces just a week ago. 
I believe the attack was a distraction so that they may sneak into the city. And it is very possible that these same marauders were involved with the slaying of a number of guards at one of the warden's compounds. Since we are now ostensibly allies, I trust that this had nothing to do with you, nor anyone you would associate with. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that was not fire. <laughs> <laughs> and if like, that comes up, I will be sure to let you know. I say I can verify for these guys. They're not subtle about anything, so I don't think they'd be able to handle that. <laughs> I believe that's Calico's true opinion too. Cadicia's <laughs> lip curls just a little bit, just the smallest hint of a, a wry smile in Calico's direction at that. You may not be wrong. Regardless, as you will be aiding us, I will attempt to aid you as well. We have information that an old clasp front, known as the Royal Arcade, has seen some activity in recent days. Whether it is the clasp or the silence, we do not know, but one should hopefully lead you to the other. To be clear, my people within the city will be watching you. If you fail to bring us useful information on the silence, if you are discovered working with the silence or the class, or if you are involved in any other nefarious activities, I will personally see to it that every warden, militia, and thieves guild in the city knows the identity of the marauders we seek, and know that they are personally responsible for the ensuing crackdown that my shining force will enact on the city. She leaves the rest unspoken, but it's not terribly difficult to figure out exactly how bad that would be for you. Very well. So basically, she knows it's us, but like, it's just going to give us a benefit of the doubt. It's up to you if Hans figures it out, but essentially it's not so much benefit of the doubt as she is using it as leverage on you. Okay. Do we have any way of contacting you when we find information or whatnot? She raises a hand, a very small sweeping gesture in front of her and says, My forces control the city. I trust you'll find a way. I will be sure to let you know. Oh, one last thing. She was serious about the horse that turned into a half-elf. And right before you rode up on us, came out of the sky as a bird and landed behind your party and smirked at us. Do you know of this half-elf? Because we fear he is in the city and will continue to do harm. She raises her voice just a tiny bit, just enough to make it carry outside the tent. And she says, Fontaine will look into this. Well, he was just here. Like, he was like just here. <laughs> So ropey things next time that guy. <laughs> Love sugar cubes. Loves them. We got a couple. She has two in her bag if you want to borrow. Oh, would she like one of my sugar cubes? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> she gives you all one more scan with her eyes and then says, Golden Peace, which is a traditional like Primarchy greeting or farewell. She then turns and leaves the tent. Just a few moments after that, Fontaine re-enters. He escorts the five of you back toward the city. As soon as you re-enter that burn zone, the area where you first snuck into Arthamore, Fontaine and his soldiers stop. He says, Golden Peace. And it is very clear they are to stand there and watch you go into the city. So, it sounds like they're sending us back to a shop again. Yeah. I'm not going to take the lead on this one. <laughs> did, they say, did they say... <laughs> Did they say that this was a class place or a silence place? I'm not she, said, sure she said class or silence. So we don't know. Gotcha. I need a shield, so I, we need to go somewhere where I can buy a shield because I lost mine. Can you buy a shield at the Royal Arcade? 
I think even Calico is not 100% sure, um, particularly because like an arcade is kind of like an outdoor mall. So particularly in Arthamore, an arcade here could be a, a pretty wide variety of storefronts and even homes all in one area. Do we know where it is? Not offhand. Wouldn't I know where that is? I did grow up here, and it's a thieves hideout of sorts, right? That makes sense to me, so sure. Um, so even if you didn't know the exact street address, you know like what neighborhood it's in, and then once you get close, you could find it pretty easily. Are you going to share that with the rest of the group? <laughs> um, Do I know who's actually in control of the Royal Arcade? Like Cadicia had said, you know that it was an old clasp front that had in recent years fallen out of use, but in the volatility of the city of the last month or so, it would have been very easy for just about anybody to move back in and kind of take over. Okay. All right. So is there like a townspeople like near us right now? You are back in the, the burned out section of the city. This is a you know a pretty wide, like pie-shaped swath of the city that burned during the unrest right after the Duke's death. Near the outer walls where you are now, there's there's little but ash around you. And then slowly as you move in toward the inner city, where the buildings begin to get larger, you start to see like the husks or like the burned out frame the, that's left of the buildings that were there. About halfway between the outer wall and the Queen's Palace, which is in the center of the city, where the buildings begin to rise up into the three, four, five, even seven-story range, you start to see larger structures that are still there but just have been gutted by the fire. It's in that area where people have begun throwing up canvas or scrap wood to turn some of these husks into somewhat passable domiciles. So it is probably a good 10-15 minute walk to the nearest of these shantytown-like neighborhoods, which would be where the, the people would be. And tight with that guy at the end. Why don't we just go there? Felix has been kind enough for many, many years. You also know that Aurelius and the gardeners have set up a base of operations in the aqueduct. So not only were they expecting you to come back in the city that way, that is a place you now know you can go at any time to contact them. I mean, if she's still not being forthcoming about it, I feel like I'm going to ask then, like, then we really need to find this shop and get there as quickly as possible. I don't know if you want to get mixed up in that, because it can get a little crazy. Uh, we don't have a choice, because that's what uh, Queen Lady wants us to do. I don't know if I like Queen Lady. Yeah, Queen Lady will kill us. <laughs> but what else is the plan? Like, we can't just not trust anybody. we got to eventually, like, act well, let's on just go. Let's just go right now. Well, I guess I'll go to uh, Felix then. Fine. I'll tell them I know where it is. Thanks for sharing, Calico. So it takes my. Okay, so you make your way through the streets of Arthamore. It's quite a bit faster than traveling during the day, simply because there are just fewer people on the street. Um, Arthamore does have a fairly healthy nightlife, but it just can't compare to the traffic of uh, like merchant carts and things like that moving around the city. Particularly in this part of town, which ends up being near the walls of the inner city, where the neighborhoods tend to be more affluent. People make their way down the street on their way to see a famous bard perform, or to a, the theater or the opera, or to some type of show, um, or to dining clubs, or one of Arthamore's famous dueling clubs, which to the untrained eye looks like little more than a, a fancy version of a gladiatorial death match. Though the nobles who attend and enjoy these spectacles insist it is far more elegant and civilized. At first, it is somewhat difficult to find the Royal Arcade, because no torches or lanterns light either the outside or the windows of the place. 
Once you find it though, this fact makes it stand out from the buildings all around it which are brightly lit and inviting. The arcade is a five-story stone building that curves like a C around a large courtyard area. It looks like the courtyard was most recently used as an, like an outdoor cafe or patio type area, but that was quite some time ago and the courtyard is now empty. Three doors lead off the courtyard. They and the windows around them are all dark. None of these doors bear additional signage. There's only the one sign for the Royal Arcade at the mouth of the sea. The first and second story of the arcade both look dark and uninhabited. Though the upper levels do have lights and some windows and you can see the shapes of people moving around up there. Can I try the door? The three doors on the ground level are all locked. Okay, they're not open. Let's come back tomorrow. Well, then you used to be part of the class. Shouldn't you know how to get into this? I mean, do I notice any signs or uh, thieves can't or whatnot written about? Yeah, with a little bit of scoping out the area, you can find the remains where somebody had tried to like remove the symbols and got them pretty mostly gone, but like the faint hint of them are still there. And so there are signs of from in the class, but thieves can't, indicating that this was a front, a safe house, and like a supply depot. Okay. Um, I'll let the rest of the group know that it did, this used to be a safe house. Uh, it appears that hasn't been for a little while, but there might still be some information we can get from here. I mean, if you want, I can try to just sneak in and take a look around and then come right back and let you guys know what's going on. Sounds like a good idea. All right, I'll do that then, Thomas. I'll sneak in. Tell me about how or what you're doing. I mean, I'll just go through the, the door. I'm going to use the night cider key. Nice. That sounds sweet. <laughs> the key slides flawlessly into the lock. And even though you can see some rust like on the outside of the lock and even in the little bit of the inside of the mechanisms that you can see from here, when you turn the key, it rotates smoothly and you hear the tumblers click with the crispness of a brand new lock. The inside is as dark as the outside suggested. So everything you see in here will be in that low detail, low light of dark vision. That's fine. What you see first are dozens of tables of various sizes spread across the floor. There's a bar along the wall opposite of where you just walked in, and some very large fireplaces are spaced throughout the room. The tables, chairs, and even a few more bars continue along the curvature of the wall. And you can see kind of the ghost outline on the floors and the walls and the ceiling where interior walls used to be. So you get the impression that at some point this was actually three, at least three different businesses. And then the walls were brought down to make it one large tavern or common room. I don't want to just assume that you're looking around, but I kind of assume you're looking around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm definitely, I'm going to, you know, try to be as quiet as I can. I'm going to keep an eye out for traps as I do. Okay, then let's do this as a discern realities. All right. Eleven. Great, so that's three questions. Can I do my knowledge of the ancients? Would it apply to this or no? Sure. Uh, that would take up two of your questions. So you would still have one left. Do you want to do that first, or do you want to do your regular question first? I'll do that first, because then I might change one of the questions I might ask. I don't know. Okay. So even though there's no one there to see it, um, we see Than's eyes glaze over as he enters kind of almost a dreamlike sequence, and you're seeing your memory of this room. It is dark, and not that much different from what you were seeing before you entered this memory. That is until the door behind you bursts open, and a number of members of the class begin to stream into the room. 
As they do, three more class members pop up from behind the bar with crossbows. They exchange some quick and heated words, which you don't quite remember. They, they come out in this memory as a, almost like a half-remembered dream. You kind of remember what they're talking about, but not what they're saying. They're essentially trying to prove to one another that they are not members of the Silence, that they are loyal class members. Once this is settled, um, once that's settled, three more class members come in from outside, and with them is Then and Kara. Then is helping, basically carrying his sister, who is limping badly, and nursing her side where the shirt is, is wet with dark crimson. The crossbows come back up, and Then puts himself in between Kara and the crossbows. There's another heated discussion that only ends when the three are finally convinced that Kara is no longer with the silence, and that she's not a threat to them. A door is opened behind the bar. One of the crossbow wielders stays back to kind of guard the rear, and the other two head through the door down the hallway, leading the newcomers around a corner and to a set of stairs that lead down into the basement. You're led into the basement and down a long hallway, at the end of which there's a doorway with a pale blue light emanating out of it. Then and Kara are significantly slower than their companions, so you are at the back of this pack, and you... so you watch as several members of the class make that turn into the room, and then just a few moments later, there's a flare of, of even brighter, bluer light, and a foosh sound. So one after another, they enter the room, and just foosh, 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 foosh. As Then and Kara finally make it to the door, they turn and see that bright blue light, and then your vision ends. Hmm. All right, then. Um, what here is useful or valuable to me? As you make your way towards the bar and towards that door that you saw open in your vision, you find carved in the wall next to that door a thieves' cant symbol for the silence. So, whereas you remember at least one iteration of your life, where you and Kara came here with the clasp, it seems in this iteration the silence are the one who now control this place. Do I, um, is there any way for me to kind of sense, uh, if anybody's within this building? Based on that, no, but I will say that you notice that there, there's enough dust that's been disturbed, that there was somebody or some bodies here at some point fairly recently. Right, right, okay. Um, I'll push into that, that area then that I saw all that activity happening. You make your way down the hallway and around that turn that you saw yourself make in the vision. At the end of the hallway, you see a rug has been thrown aside, and even though it's closed, you can clearly see a trap door there at the end of the hallway. I will rejoin the rest of the group and, and relay the information to them and be like, hey, do you guys tell me to kind of push ahead and see what's going on, or do you going to try to follow me in here? Do you tell them about your vision? No. I'll just tell them there was some activity here, and it leads to the basement. I think there's some answers down here. Well, there's no sense in splitting up. And it didn't appear anyone outside of the King's Guard was following. I trust you. Okay. Go the distance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did um did I retrieve the Nightsider key when I left? Yeah, you followed all the rules, so you could take it out the door if you would like to. That would mean it is closed and locked again. And is well, there any way for me lives. to then, like, like either like actually pick the door and go through, or...? Absolutely. Roll Tricks of the Trade. Okay. Can I do that, too? This doesn't work. Ten. Never mind. 
He did get a full success, so you're all set this time. But for the future, yes, if he had failed, you would be able to try. Um, and actually, he would be able to try again, too. Um, because each attempt carries its own consequences, he could basically try as many times as he wants. It's just, you know, how many consequences are you willing to maybe stack up if you, if you keep failing? You make your way into the arcade, which is not quite pitch black, thanks to the little bit of light coming from the street through the windows. But it is, however, dark enough that Hans and Elief can't really see anything. Then and Calico have dark vision, but again, dark vision really only lets you see black and white and in very low detail. So I would recommend I would, you know, let them know. I'd be like, I don't have a torch, but if you guys need to light a torch or something, I think it's, I think it's safe to do so. I don't see any current activity here. What's in the room that you can see? Uh, I, I, I can't quite see, so that's why I was hoping you'd light a torch. <laughs> if you all want some light and don't have a torch, Leandros can cast light. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot. Sure. So Leandros walks over to Hans and begins muttering his arcane incantations, and those arcane runes appear around his hands, and his eyes flash that red, and then he reaches out and just touches Hans's sword, and the sword begins to glow a bright white. So your sword is essentially like a glow stick now. And now everybody can see. You all begin making your way into the arcade, through the common room-type area, around the bar, and through that door, down the hallway to the trap door. It opens easily into a set of stairs that leads down into the basement. The stairs lead to a stone hallway. It's about 50 feet long. There are four doors on each side of the hallway. What would you like to do? I would like to go through whatever door Thang goes through. <laughs> I will investigate these doors and make sure they're not trapped and whatnot and go down which or try to see what's behind one at a time kind of thing. Okay. It obviously takes you quite a while to go through all the seven rooms that you didn't see in your vision. Most of the rooms were at least originally set up to be like storage, like typical root cellar or wine cellar type rooms. Shelves for various stores and racks for wine and drinks and things like that are still in the rooms. The first two rooms on the right side of the hallway do, however, have some provisions in them. In particular, one of the rooms has a significant amount of travel rations in it. It looks like very recently there was significantly more here, but what is left is still more than the five of you could carry. So this is mostly like hardtack type bread, salted meats, aged cheese. In the second room, again, there's the impression that there was a significantly larger amount just recently, but there is still quite a bit in the room, and this is mostly wine. There's an entire rack of uh, casks still along the wall. Most of them are empty, but there's enough full that, again, like the five of you couldn't deal with this amount of wine. On a table in the center of this room, there are a number of empty bottles and empty wine skins. I'm going to hang out in the wine one while he looks through the rest. <laughs> you can certainly do that. Um, all of you can also, if you would like to take any of the wine or the rations or anything like that, you can do that as well. Yeah, might as well have some food on, on hand, drinky um, food. You all can take as much as you want. Um, five rations equals one weight, so just keep that in mind. We haven't done a lot with rations yet because you've all been staying at the Silver Unicorn and the meals are included in the, the cost of the rooms, so. I took I'll 10 take rations. I mean, uh, I feel like I'll, I'll take some of the hard tack. I'm gonna take 10 rations as well, as well as wine. If it's just a bottle or two, go ahead and just write that down, but don't assign a weight to it. Unless you're taking a large amount of wine, I'm not gonna worry about the weight. Um. Road one for the adventure. 
Is that your character or Amy? I'm confused. <laughs> All my characters seem to like alcohol. Yeah. So most of the other rooms are completely empty, though in a few of them you do see where the dust has been disturbed, um, as if there had been like bed rolls laid down so that maybe some folks have been sleeping here uh, somewhat recently. And that leaves only the last door on the left at the end of the hallway. As you approach, you see that the door is either open or just no longer there. The doorframe is just a gaping maw into the darkness. As the light from Hans's sword illuminates the room, you see that it also is empty. However, carved into the stone in the center of the room is a large ring of arcane symbols and ley lines. I have seen one of these before. It's a teleportation circle, right? Yes, you would have seen these in Valorhold as well as the Cerulean Tower. Then, as you move closer to the circle to get a better look, you begin to hear that very sweet, very small, melodic humming that Cloud has taken to doing. She's standing to the right, just beside the door. That strange jacket with the sleeves that flare so far they dangle near her ankles is mostly hidden. She must have her arms crossed in front of her. And whether she did it on purpose or not is hard to tell, but her golden pixie-cut hair comes to a point on the front of her head in a perfect position to lead your eye to a set of strange markings on the wall. As you move closer, you realize the markings are not so strange after all. It is a single line of very small elven characters. A quick aside, Fen, did you and Kara have some kind of inside joke from when you were children? Uh, or maybe like a pet name that you would use for each other? Okay, I'm on the spot. I mean, I would, I would, I would say so, but I can't think of a good one like right off the top of my head right now. Don't overthink it. What's the first thing that comes to mind? I'd say it's something about a fox. Okay. From um, our time as like children hunting in the forest. There you go. On the wall above Cloud's head, in very small, very neat Elven script, is a single phrase. It says, "Sage Fox, we travel now by arcane wind." You, of course, remember that Kara called you Sage Fox, because Sage is the color of the forest that you could hide so easily in, and because she always looked to you for advice. Shit. Alright, so is there any, like, sign here, a way to activate this? You would remember from the couple of times that you used teleportation circles that it requires an arcane user channeling into them. In the the, the, the phrase, it does it wouldn't signify possibly where traveling to might have been nothing that jumps out at you you get the impression that she wanted to make sure that you knew the message was for you but that if anyone else saw it and read it that they wouldn't get really anything out of it or any way to follow out of it right right i'd say my first step is to try to oh man there's no way they keep track of that kind of thing like trying to figure out what other business they might have had through the circle do I know if, like, these teleportation circles, are they, like, linked to one other location and that's it? Or can it really go anywhere? Let's do this as a spout lore, so go ahead and roll plus int. Eleven. So you are paying very close attention uh, to the teleportation circles that you've seen before. And this wouldn't be the parallel that Fen would draw, but for our purposes, teleportation circles are kind of like landline phones they are they're anchored to a place and it helps you communicate to another landline phone if you know 
the if you know the number, or in this case, if you know the rune sequence. Teleporting from one circle to another is a way to help ensure that like nothing goes wrong, like everything gets where it's supposed to be going in one piece. Whereas you can teleport to a teleportation circle from anywhere if you have the magic, but kind of like a cell phone, you know, the reception might be bad. Except bad reception for teleportation could mean like you, one of your arms doesn't come with you, or you end up a hundred miles away from where you're trying to get to. You also know that portals, when they are being enchanted, can also be linked to other portals. If the runes are incorporated into the, the circle, it's kind of like a speed dial list for other teleportation circles. So what all that means for your purposes here is that, that there is probably a way to find out where the last people who use the portal teleported to. Will, however, require very specific magics. Okay, I'll relay that to the rest of the group and let them know that it seems like a group of class for silence went through here to teleport elsewhere. Well, is it class for silence? Because that's a different. Mm, and more than likely silence. What makes you think that? Whoever was here was on the run, and I know the silence weren't very welcome. Do you think you can activate the portal? I'm, I'm, I'm just a thief. Leandros, who had been studying the circle pretty intently up to this point, overhears Hans's question and butts into the conversation. Oh, I, of course, could open up a link in a teleportation circle. It's so easy. Oh, go ahead and do it right now. Well, I wouldn't expect the likes of you to understand the intricacies of such arcane practices. Let's just say, if we don't know where they win, opening a portal now won't do us any good. Oh man, would it teleport you away from here? <laughs> he gives you a very meaningful look and says, I could teleport anyone, anywhere I'd like. Oh man, you can try that. Uh, maybe we can find out where they went from the people on the third floor. Uh, we We can. Uh, w was the third floor like connected to this like building, or was it like a separate place? From what you've seen of other buildings in Arthmore, the third floor is probably not accessible from the first or second floor. Most often, each floor is a different artisan or workshop or residence, and so each of them have their own entrances right from the street level. So typically, the street level door opens up into a set of stairs. These interior staircases wrap around the outside of the building all the way up to usually like the fourth or fifth story. Anything taller than that is usually owned by a single entity, and so has interior access. Right, right, okay. We can certainly go and ask them. I'm um, not sure what they, if, if they would even know, but... How would we ask them? Like, we can't... Uh, we can ask them about if they know or were here when the previous owners were here. And If the people upstairs are from the class or the silence, you told um, Khaleesi that, uh, <laughs> that you're being hunted by both. Is, is it safe for you to go up there and just talk to somebody? I doubt anybody would recognize my face right away. How are we going to get information from them? I don't want to be put on the spot again. I mean, we might have to lie to get it done. That's fine, but I'm asking you what do you want me to lie about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I like this new Elif here. Um, I don't know. Make, uh, make, it, make it seem like maybe we're interested in starting a shop around here and this place looks interesting we're trying to learn what happened here first much like the last one we're just supposed to find out it's just this information about the silence right we're trying to track them down where their hideout is and <laughs> snuff them out basically 
and we need to take that information back to whatever her base was. Please. Yeah. That was what she suggested, but... I don't think we should. Yeah, then again, we don't really have to if we don't want to. Assuming we can get out of the city again. If we can get away from the guards that are following us, then we don't have to. (laughs) Well, we we have a way out, and we have friends who can help us, and I live at Calico. All right, so we go back outside, go up the stairs, and try to find some information? Yeah, I'm, I'm fully w- there with you. Let's go, okay, uh, let's, go. let's go talk to him. Sure. It is easy enough to make your way back outside of the arcade. From there, you make your way around to the what would be like the outside of the sea. And there, since they are intended to be easily found by the people of the city, is a series of doors. They are about 10 feet apart. The first one is marked 4. The second door is marked 3. And the third door is marked 2. You all wanted to start on the third floor because that's where you saw the lights and activity, right? Okay. The door opens easily onto a set of stairs that begin to spiral around the outside of the sea. What order are you walking in? Uh, particularly who's in front, like who's going to be knocking on the door? I turn to Then and say, you said you were going to lead the way. You guys are really holding me to this. <laughs> you said you were going to lead the way, I'll have your back. Alright, I'll lead the way and go up the stairs. Calico, keep an eye out. I know that you're good with that. Yep. Okay, so what's the order? I'm behind Fen. I'll be behind him. And I'll be at the end. Okay, and even though Leandros is being strangely quiet, he wants to be in between his hired sword, so he wants to be between Elif and Hans. Is that okay? That's fine. Okay, so you make your way up the stairs. Periodically as you go, like one of the stones in the wall has been enchanted to give off a very dim light. So you're not walking in total darkness, but it's not brightly lit or what you would consider to be good lighting. Those of you who have been to Dwarven cities would recognize these as a kind of like a cheap knockoff of the light stones that they use to illuminate their underground complexes. At the top of the stairs, you find a plain wooden door. I'm uh, not. Uh, uh, excuse me. Um, sorry, sorry, sorry to trouble you. A human opens the door. Her face is exhaustion. Her brown hair is tied into a loose top knot on her head. The baby on her hip is grabbing at her bosom. In the room behind her, two children chase each other around the table. One of them has a loaf of bread and is smacking the other one whenever they get close. The door is open just a crack. And she spits out, What do you want? And then seeing you says, Oh God, you guys again. I told uh... you, I'm not giving up my space. I don't care how much you offer. I gotta have a place for my kids to stay. And that, that's that's fair. That's understandable. We 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 are not trying to seek you a place, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. They already tried the good Justica, bad Justica, stick on me. No, but no. Believe me, believe me. We. I can you're speak more... pretty loud. I can get the gods here in just a second. No, no problem. And I'll I'll pull out uh, five gold. Please, a moment of your time. Her eyes get wide in a very angry way. She looks back over her shoulder at the kids now, both smacking each other with half of a loaf of bread. Then says, I'm no, and then covers her baby's ear and says, Whore. No, 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 we... She just steamrolls over you. I don't know what you think this place is. We only see... We ain't for sale, and I told your boss that. Well, we haven't seen our boss. He's been a dick lately. <laughs> her eyes go wide, but this time in shock, and she tries to put her hand on the baby's ear. We we only... And then, like, the other one, and, like, she's trying to cover both ears with one hand, but can't. <laughs> we only see, uh... We only seek, uh, information. That, that's all. Well, watch your... And then she finally looks down, 
covers the baby's ear with one hand and pushes its head into her breast, covering the other ear. Fucking mouth! <laughs> she considers you again and says, What kind of information? Well, I, we're not interested in your place, but I was curious about the place at the bottom of the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's after that place. What do you want? Well, we're just trying to understand what happened there. She just looks at you for a couple moments and then says, You're either real dumb, or you're not with them. Uh, which of them are you referring to? Annex Love. Those assholes. <laughs> her eyes go wide again, and she goes, and she's like, smushes the baby's head into her breast again. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't control Wait. it. I can't control it, I'm sorry. She gives you a real dirty look and then slowly releases the child's head and like points again at the baby and, and makes a face like don't fucking do that again but any information you have well I don't know that I know much about it there used to be a tavern down there they had great scones uh, but then when the city went to sh- and she stops and looks down at the baby and when things went bad in the city <laughs> they closed up they disappeared real fast but since then, people have been coming and going in the middle of the night, every night, like clockwork. Except this past day or so, they've been nobody. This past day or so? Yeah, that's when those Annex love at. And she looks at her kid. People started knocking around. Started. <laughs> I don't know if you're part of them or not, but you tell them I ain't having it. I'm staying here with my kids. Ma'am, do you I know any of their names? No, I don't know their names. I didn't exactly invite them in for tea. Fair enough. Do you know where these Annex Love people are? Maybe we can uh, give them a talking to, make them make sure they stay away from you and your family. She shrugs and then readjusts the baby on her hip and says, They're all over the place. Ever since things went to sh- And she looks down at the baby again. Since things went bad, <laughs> they've been gobbling up every place they can get their hands on. Oh, all right. Well, any anybody of uh, interesting or renowned come through this uh, establishment? Sonny, I got four kids. Beyond them, the only person I care about is the no-good piece of sh- glances down. The one who left me to raise these kids alone. And I only care about him because I'm going to beat him senseless if I ever see him again. Beyond that, I don't really care who's coming or going, below me or beyond me. I, I don't need to know your personal business, man. You're the one that came to my house. Fair enough. Did your husband get caught up with the, the group downstairs? She looks past that and gets her first you know, good look of Hans and kind of looks him up and down and smiles and says, like, Oh, you're cute. If I was ten years younger, maybe you and I could be uh, talking about some other things. <laughs> well, ma'am, I don't discriminate. <laughs> <laughs> she resettles the baby on her hip again and, Can I trust your friends to watch my kids? <laughs> Anybody sure. but the green one or the purple one, sorry. Wow. She kind of cranes her neck to see past you and then says, Millel's hop. They're really purple. I'm lavender, to be clear. Well, I don't know what that means, but from where I'm standing, you look pretty purple. <laughs> but anyway, did your, your husband, what happened to him? Ah, he left a couple years ago. Good for nothing. Popped this one in me and then just took off. <laughs> What was his name? That bastard. She looks down at her kid and like, whoop. Her hand pops up like she was going to try to like retroactively cover his ears. And like, yeah. His name's Riv Kurzweil. If you run into him, give him a smack in the head for me. 
and steal his gold. Uh, anything you take from him, sister, you keep it. <laughs> people that the people that are trying to buy the building, did they leave you any information? Any flyers? Yeah. <laughs> no. Map to where they're at. <laughs> do you, do they have like a like a building of their own that you do know that they own and they work out of? Well, there's a lot of them that hang out at the Ten Ring Tea Room just down the street. Uh, I can't say I recommend going there. There's a lot of you know hoity-toities that hang out there. Oh boy. Okay. And what? I'm sorry, but this doesn't have to be in character. But what's the name of this group she keeps? She keeps saying. Annex Love. Annex Love. Do I recognize that? Why don't we roll a spout lore on that to see how much you know? That's plus intelligence. Oh no. <laughs> Shockingly low. Hell yeah, I got a 12 anyway. Yeah, you would recognize it as one of the other thieves' guilds in the city. They are not considered to be one of like the major powers. They are, however, very well known and well respected as information brokers. But do they spy on the silence in the class? They'll spy on anybody they think they can make a profit on or broker information about anybody. Does she, does she relay that information to us? No. <laughs> nice. Okay, um, then we have, then we have no lead to go off of, so what do we do? Well, can we know, just we can ask her, to... like, flat out, like, have you ever had yeah. any run-ins with the class for the silence? <laughs> nah, I don't think so. I mean, the city's got its fair share of undesirables, but uh, I don't know any clasps or silences. Do you know anybody that would? She's like three bottles of wine deep right now. <laughs> it's actually a good idea. We should give her some. I gave her some gold. Oh, Shit. Yeah. We've got wine. Hey, I bring out a bottle and was like, any more information you can give us, this is yours. <laughs> that definitely got her attention. <laughs> what do you, oh, you want to know? Who should uh, we talk to next? What do y'all want to know? <laughs> Are we still outside or are we like inside her place or no? You are still in that stairwell and she is at the top of the stairs. So she's still like kind of like almost up on her tiptoes and like craning her neck to, to look past Hans down at Calico. And she's like, hey, Purple, what do you want? You know, what do you, what do you, what do you want? What do you need? What do you got? <laughs> um, oh, come on. Don't tease me. What's the person you're looking for, Thin? What does she look like? Or what do they look like? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I never, I never, I never said it was a she. Yeah, I know. That's why I said today. Well, the person I'm looking for is different from them, but have you seen an elven girl, a half elf? She gives you a, are you fucking kidding me kind of look and says, have I seen any elven girls in the most populated <laughs> city in Arya? She, she had a lot of dealings downstairs before the, the close down. Look, there were a lot of, and she looks down at her baby things that went on down there. I'm sure there were plenty of elven looks the baby and people involved. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she's not gonna she's not gonna know there, uh, Calico. Do you know anybody that we should talk to? <laughs> it's so broad. Uh, yeah, I, I think that you should talk to your purple friend down there. Get that wine heading up this way. We'll give you the <laughs> wine if you give us a name. Or any information. Okay, okay. She thinks for a moment. Yeah, there's a guy named Valtor. I think you'd find very interesting. A couple blocks west of here, he's got a blacksmith shop. He's a hoot. Okay, it's just a random guy. Let's be clear, what kind of hoot are we talking about? (laughs) She puts a hand over her kid's ear again. 
He's a hoot. She takes her hand off the kid's ear just long enough to kind of make a, a quick couple circle motions around her pelvic region. You know, downstairs. And then she winks at Hans. <laughs> purple. purple knows what I mean. Goodness. Yeah, yeah. Goodness. Okay. All right, so I feel like okay. I have the wine bottle and I say, okay, wine for the baby. Wine for the baby. <laughs> I think she reaches out for the wine. <laughs> All right. So I think we should wrap it up. Then can probably say goodbye inside. I think after, during the whole conversation, I just kind of walked past Han <laughs> Calico and let them deal with her. I was just like, she's good. They're good. Before she shuts the door, I'll say, I'll be with you and your family and I'll give her a hundred gold. Oh, shit. All right. You got my back. She is stunned, and then her eyes begin to tear up, and she comes down the stairs and hugs Elif. God bless you. I thought all the good people left when the city burned. She's like, oh, like semi-rich now. Kind of. I mean, for someone like her, I mean, I don't have a specific profession in mind for her because I just made her up when you guys decided to go upstairs. But that's probably two or three years' salary. Nice. So I'm just waiting for them at the bottom of the stairs. So she told us about the tea room and she told us about the blacksmith. I partially think the blacksmith was probably just not a lead, but then again, I don't know. It might be good to talk to the blacksmith. In this city, people aren't always what they seem to be. Are any of you familiar with the Annex Love or whatever it's called? No. No. Um, I have no idea what's going on. Calico, are you withholding information from us again? I'm not withholding anything. Just selective detailing. I will tell them a little bit about the Annex Love, that they basically are fields for information so nobody respects them. Perfect, then. Why don't we just go to them and hire them to get us information? Uh, okay. Are they violent? No. But I will say that interacting with the Annex Love is probably a little bit more dangerous because they have... No problem with, like, backstabbing and turning things around on you. They could easily just sell our secrets in the same way. Right. Oh, so they could be, like, on the class payroll and we yeah. just die. Hans, you love swords. Why don't you go to the blacksmith and act like you're getting a sword made? I mean, clearly the blacksmith likes women, so... <laughs> Does he, though? All you really know is that that one woman really likes him. <laughs> did we get her name? You did not. Oh, okay. I mean, if you want it for your out-of-character notes, her name was Ella Burgess. Well, anyway, so we should probably go back, say we go back to the Silver Unicorn. Hey, Felix, somebody gives money, we spend the night, yada, 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 it's morning now. Get I'll go out. talk to the blacksmith. I want to go to the blacksmith. I'll, I'll, if you want to go talk to him, I'll back you up. I feel, I feel like it, it could just be a quick thing if it's clear that she was just picking with us and <laughs> move on. As you enter the common room for the Silver Unicorn, Felix sees you from across the room and hurriedly makes his way over. When he gets up to you and nods in deference to you, you can see that a slight sheen of sweat has broken out on his bald head. Oh, uh, Master Then, so so good to see you. I was, however, not expecting to see you again so soon. Um, Our mutual friend um, has paid up your account, and the account has been closed. Uh, They asked that if you returned here that you would that you would meet them at the aqueduct. Uh, have you already been there? I can certainly open a new account and, and get you some new rooms if you'd like. Oh. How much is a room? It is eight gold per night. We can do that. Oh. You could do it, but it is very expensive. Uh, just to be clear, like in most cities, the top of the line in is about four gold a night. 
we can go to the aqueducts and save us some money. Okay. We'll tell him we'll be back if we if we need to. Felix nods again in deference, and again dressing Than says, My apologies again, Master Than. There will, of course, always be a room for you here at the Silver Unicorn. Had it been anyone other than our mutual friend who had requested to close out your accounts, I would not have done so in, in deference to your to your privacy and to your business. It was my understanding that your relationship with our friend has bloomed quite nicely, and that he may in fact actually, or that the, the two of you may in fact speak for each other at this point, and I am certainly uh, terribly, terribly sorry if that is not the case, or if I have overstepped my bounds in any way. Oh, perfectly fine, perfectly fine, and I'll thank you. So I mean, we'll won't the King's Guard like, see us going to the aqueduct, and won't they, like, you know, be a little interested in that? It's a very good point. I think, if anything, we need to, like, send for Aurelius if we need to talk to him. Well, I need to talk to him no matter what. So, we'll stay here for the night and ask Felix to, uh, set up a meeting. Oh, he sent a messenger to set up a meeting. Oh. So Felix sends one of his employees upstairs to go get the room ready for you while you're doing the, the magic signature thing that, that, that they do. He then escorts you upstairs to the room. It's the same room that you were in before. Though as you come to the top of the stairs into the hallway, you see that employee that, that Felix sent up there is escorting somebody out of the room and uh, you know down the hall to another room. While the rest of you are getting settled into the room, uh, Calico steps out to send her message to Aurelius. Calico, go ahead and text me what you'd like that to say. Great. So after just a little bit, Calico comes back into the room, and you all are sitting there for maybe about 20 minutes until there's a knock at the door. Not waiting for an answer, the the door opens and Aurelius walks in. His dark brown curly hair looks impeccable, but his striking gray eyes look very intense. They dart swiftly around the room, taking the measure of everything in there. And instead of the noble's kurta that he was wearing the last time you saw him, he's now wearing a light green leather armor. There are a couple places, like his left forearm and the chest plate, that is a hardened like dark green leather. Um, he looks very ranger-esque. Okay. Hello, my friends. We were expecting you to return to the aqueduct. Has something gone awry? Oh, we had to... Somebody following. They're amateurs. <laughs> Aurelius laughs at that. <laughs> we ran into uh, we ran into the daughter of the king. The little bit of laughter that was still in his eyes disappears, and he looks at you in a very measured way and says, "I see. Hopefully, you did not have to kill too many of them to escape." Ah uh, well, she's seen reason and uh, decided to let us go. He just continues to look at you very intently. She appears to be seeking information on the clasp and the silence. I see. So you told her you would help her in this endeavor. And so, of course, Cadicia is having you followed. Which is why we did not want to proceed the way we did. Indeed. And perhaps there is still a way to make use of this situation. Tell me, what did you find in Hadria? <laughs> well, you see... There was a horse. As I said before, amateurs. Oh, excuse me, you were there. <laughs> As I uh, reported to you... Yes, that was not a glowing commendation. You may be judging them too harshly, Calico. Their methods may be unconventional, 
but you cannot argue with their results so far for us. The situation was not ideal, but what did you learn from the Blue Moon? Uh, the Silence had a safe house there. Gentle out-of-character reminder, he was the one who told you that. That's the whole reason you went there. <laughs> oh, I thought you said that they just had activity there. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, so literally not. Like, you learned how to push over a carrot. I don't know, did, did any of the magical items that we took mean anything? <laughs> we did not learn much from that. I don't want to lie to you about it. Uh, it didn't go exactly as planned. Um, but we've come out of that on the other side. Perhaps being followed by Cadicia. But uh, I see this as possibly a way to get a little more information from the inside of their army as well. Aurelius takes a real deep breath, and there's a couple beats before he responds. That is a good instinct. We must use what we have today, not what we wished we had yesterday. Tell me, what is your next step? Well, we are still tracking the silence. They had a stake in uh, the Royal Arcade. Uh, there was some sort of teleportation. Uh, they're no longer in Arthurmore. And uh, we're trying to track down where they might have uh, ran off to. Uh, we have a lead, um, possibly information that the Annex Love might know something. Is there any chance you could be mistaken in this? No. Interesting. I did not think they had such capabilities. I will have to... He trails off, kind of lost for a moment his own thoughts. And then he snaps back. There was signs of their teleportation in the arcade? Yes. A teleportation circle, that's, that's how we know they left. Aurelius takes another deep breath. There is only one person I know who I would trust to investigate or navigate such magics. Her prices are often steep, but her skills are unmatchable. She'll be able to tell us where they went? I believe so. I admit the arcane is a bit beyond me, but her skills in this area are unmatched. What was her name? Can you? Her name is Orthorn. Probably a good idea to get her name. You can find her in the Okanovra Tower. Do I know what this is? Let's find out. Go ahead and roll Spout Lore. Eight. Okay, so partial success for that is I tell you something interesting. It's up to you to make it useful. So you know that Arthamore is home to the Taresh Acadia, which is one of the most well-known magic academies in all of Aria. On the campus of the Acadia are five what they call towers, although these towers are more like small castles. Each one is kind of like a separate college for a type of magic. And the Okanovra Tower is one of those. Is there anything else you'd like to ask Aurelius, or do you want to let him go? Do you have any help or ideas about the people following us? Tips on how to uh, shake, a, shake a tail from them? And the Shining Force? It would be best to simply disappear. <laughs> yeah. Stay as far away from them as possible. They are incredibly powerful. Far more than they have right to be. There are many rumors and horror stories that when Cadicia became Commander Radiant, the Shining Force undertook some terrible activities. I would not want to be in her gaze or her death. Understandable. We can probably thank him, and then we should probably talk about how we're going to get into Hogwarts. 
<laughs> sure. When he's leaving, I'm like, how much longer do you want me to stay with these weirdos? He looks over your shoulder and makes sure that none of your new companions are listening. As long as is necessary. I am trusting you to tell me when it is time. Fine. Okay. They have done much to advance our true cause, but they are like rocks, not yet thrown into the water. We do not yet know how far their ripples will reach. Thank you for joining in our wild endeavors. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Wild Endeavors. If you've been enjoying our adventures so far, we'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't been enjoying our story, please send your hate mail and hurtful comments to Adam Rogers at NPCU Later or Nick Feely at Roll Plus Nick, both on Twitter. We want to thank Kevin McLeod for the excellent music, and we hope that you join us again next week.